This is a custom episode from Postscript Studios and Wood McKenzie. Anton Cohen has been at Cohen Resnick Capital for nearly 27 years. He's been advising companies across a wide range of industries like tech, manufacturing, public tax credits, and energy. And um, for those folks that know me, I get bored very easily. My attention span doesn't last very long. So to be at one place for so long is pretty amazing for me. The thing that's kept his attention the longest? Clean energy. More than a decade ago, Anton took on some clients in large-scale wind and distributed solar. It was an inflection point for the renewables business. So he immersed himself deeper, eventually becoming national director of the firm's renewable energy industry practice. I said to folks, look, if you want to be in the renewable energy industry, you got to be all in. There's no dabbling. We have about 100 folks on the accounting firm side. All we do is renewables. Live, eat, sleep, breathe renewables. Fast forward to 2021. We're at another inflection point, and this time the curve is much steeper. Extreme heat, droughts, and floods are increasing in frequency. Public attention on clean energy is stronger than ever. The Biden administration is putting zero carbon energy at the core of its policies, and the corporations that Anton advises are feeling the urgency. What I'm seeing now is the adoption by a lot of the big oil and gas majors, right? They realize that they got to diversify. The same goes for tech firms, manufacturers, utilities, virtually any major company with a public-facing brand. I think it's the, the corporates who are pushing hard. And I don't care what type of state you're in, whether you're in a Republican state or a Democratic state, there's too much push by these major corporations and even the fossil fuel companies. People know what direction we're heading in, right? It's just a matter of how quickly we get there with the energy transition. And today, there's another urgency, making sure the energy transition is as racially and economically just as possible. You know, it's sad. The same communities that were impacted the hardest with the coronavirus pandemic, right, are the ones that are suffering the most from having limited access to clean, affordable power. Those are the ones that are near fossil fuel plants and suffer pollution. So what I'd like to see is that every low-income community, underserved community, has access to clean, affordable power. Amidst all this change in the corporate world, we have an ongoing pandemic, a strange economic recovery, massive cybersecurity breaches, and an infrastructure bill under consideration that could transform the clean energy economy. Anton is watching all of it. So I caught up with him for a take on how these factors are all influencing each other. We started with the state of renewables after the peak of America's COVID crisis. I think it's still extremely strong. You know, yes, there were some issues with supply chain and delays. And those, those, most of those got worked out. But the demand for, uh, for clean energy is, is so strong. You know, I, I'm getting calls from, you know, just companies that, that you'd think, you know, well, there's no way they'd be interested in clean. But everyone is. It's coming, and it's coming in a, in a big, big way. How impactful do you think the infrastructure bill and this administration will be on transforming the industry? I think it's going to create certainty, you know, some certainty for, for the energy transition. I think that's what folks need. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, let's sure up the tax credits and create, you know, a, a longer runway with the with the tax credits. But it's then wrapping everything in everything else into it, right? It's looking at new technologies. It's spending a lot of money on, on research and development for new climate science. Many of these strategic investors are taking a much longer look at clean energy than they used to. Maybe in the past they would say, all right, let me look at your pipeline two to three, two to four years out. 
Now they're looking at 10 to 20 years and they're saying, man, this is here to stay. I think this is going to happen because they see the long-term opportunities here in the U.S. for, for clean energy. And, and they, they're hopeful that this some type of, whether it's in this bill or some type of climate plan, will give them some certainty regarding that outlook. There's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the corporate world. Some of the big tech players are trying to get, you know, round-the-clock renewables for their data centers. Google has been out front in this with their 24-7 carbon-free initiative. Microsoft's trying to do something similar. You have companies like Stripe that are paying a really high amount for carbon that's stripped out of the atmosphere for for carbon offsets. They're, They're trying new and interesting things. They're not just supporting standard power purchase agreements. Do you feel like we're at the beginning of a really innovative time for, for the corporate renewable space? Yeah, I'd say the large corporates, from what we've seen, I think the, the big change has been, you know, traditionally they've been, you know, they've been buyers, obviously, of clean power through power purchase agreements. And now we're starting to see, I think we'll start to get to more direct ownership. And, you know, we're starting to see also these large corporates become you know, tax equity players in the market. But their mission, it's, it's more than just being tax equity and making accretive financial investment, right? It's it's the broader ESG play where, yes, they may be making a tax equity investment, but they're also focused on the power generation side. It's so much more than just the power side of the house. It's what type of PPAs can we enter into to to show our shareholders, our stakeholders that, that we're, we're in it for the long haul. To, to your point, yeah, we want to make sure the pricing is attractive, but for example, can you enter into PPAs that are focused on social 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 justice or social injustice? Can you enter into PPAs with minority-owned businesses? Right. I think you know that that is the sort of the other piece as well that that you mentioned. In it's it's wrapping the the social side as well into what they're what they're doing, and, and not just the environmental you know clean energy piece. It's it's. They they want to make an, a big impact in the communities that they're serving as well. And and that's why I think that well, I'm hopeful that one of the big things that will come out of this infrastructure bill will be um, large social impact investing in these distressed communities. We now have a president who's proposing a net zero grid by net zero emissions grid by 2035. We were once talking about it in 2050. Now we're talking 2035. A lot goes into that target, not least of which is a probably a national renewable energy standard, which we have no idea if we'll get. But a lot of folks now see that, uh, assuming the policy pieces are in place, as a realistic goal. How do you view the accelerated timeline for a decarbonized grid, given what you're seeing in the market? I think that when you combine all the different elements of the package if we can if, if that gets through i think 2035 is optimistic but i think it can be done if all the pieces of the climate bill get through so in order to hit that 2000 that the 2035 goal you've got to have offshore wind you've got to have green hydrogen you've got to have some type of low carbon fuel standard energy efficiency new technologies it's all of the above carbon capture the only way we hit it by 2035 is if we get if you get most of that gets gets pushed through you need a balance of all of those to to reach those targets you can't from my perspective rely on just one or two technologies it's just not going to happen 
up until now, we've been talking about some pretty positive trends, but there are, of course, some major risks out in the market. And every company right now in the energy space and in the industrial space, basically every corporation is now worried about cybersecurity risk and hacking. And with the rise of cryptocurrencies and hacking organizations that are easily able to funnel money through cryptocurrencies, it's making it easier to shut down infrastructure and hold them, hold companies for ransom. We saw this with the Colonial Pipeline recently. And then Invenergy, one of the largest wind developers, just announced that it also had been hacked and had sensitive information stolen from it. And we don't know what's going to happen there. So every company in the renewable energy space and beyond is thinking about this. How are you viewing within the practice this rising and evolving threat? I think the, the issue with companies, what they really need to do, and, and I think you're correct, with everything that's going on in, with with, finan- with fintech and, and cryptocurrencies and different ways of paying for things and, and wire fraud, and, and certainly we've seen an increase in a lot of those attacks. I think part of it is because companies don't have a complete understanding of their, their, their cyber threat risk profile. And and if they did some type of assessment, they could have they could flag where some of their 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 high risks are. And you know we're working, we're seeing a lot more companies engage us on the technology risk side and cybersecurity risk. And um, you know our team is 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 spending a lot of time there. I mean, I think when you look at the technology risk, one of the big issues for many companies is is their outdated legacy and the legacy systems that they have. And they can be specifically targeted by obviously malicious attackers you know, to hack them, to hack the companies. And companies need to refresh and update their technology infrastructure. I think that's key, right? And and I think on the financial risk side, I think the global cost of data breaches in 2021 is expected to reach six trillion annually. Okay, and that's doubled from I think it was three trillion back in 2015. So when you look at the financial risk. You know, the security breaches leading to cybersecurity insurance underwriting being declined, um, especially when companies cannot show adequate measures that they have taken to remediate some of these situations. So, yes, we're seeing a lot more companies do a sort of a, an assessment of their, their cyber controls and their risk profile. So I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future. So it's always been there, though. I, think, I just think it's, it's so much more heightened now. I want to go back to the theme that I've heard you touch on in the interview, which I think is a really powerful, particularly for this moment. I mean, you know, renewable energy, thinking about the structures of renewable energy, instead of just thinking about uh, sale leasebacks and partnership flips and inverted leases and tax equity, you're really thinking about a, the broader form of equity. How do you create partnerships and deals that support a lot of social aims and not just high volumes of renewable energy, which is, of course, extremely important. I think you can also touch on, I think, for, for years, you know, the, the regulations, you talk about the CRA, the, the, the Community Reinvestment Act credit, right? So, so there were recent improvements to the, to the regulations for the Federal Community Reinvestment Act. So they clarified that federally regulated institutions you know, obviously banks and so forth, financial institutions can now obtain CRA approval for clean energy investments, including tax equity investments, right? So before what was happening is that was one of the big issues with these banks, you know, when they invest in low income credits and others, they were getting, you know, CRA credit, right? And now 
because the CRO, CRA focuses on equal treatment of low and moderate income persons and areas, the new OCC regs make it increase, increasingly more likely that low and moderate income persons can obtain the direct and indirect benefits of clean energy. So by updating the regs, the OCC is also updating the goals of the, of the CRA, which is, which is to make sure that the low-income communities are not being left, in, left behind in the clean energy revolution. So when you think about this now, banks and financial institutions now that obviously invest in low-income and moderate communities in the past, they were never given CRA credit for, uh, for, for renewable energy. Now they are. And I think that could be a big game changer too, coupled with hopefully a lot of social impact investing from this infrastructure bill. So you've been at Cohen Resnick for over 26 years. Uh, I can see why you haven't gotten restless there because the space is changing so dramatically. If you stay for another 26 years, maybe we'll have the whole electricity sector decarbonized by then. <laughs> In Afinan, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that we'll see significant, look, we've seen, as, as, as you know, I mean, you've been in this industry a long time as well. You know, there's been a lot of great strides that have made. And I, I think, but even taking a step back here, if you look at total energy consumption here, I think renewable still only makes up 11 or 12%, right? Yes, it's a lot of the, it's a lot of the a high percentage of the new generation comes from renewables, but we're still, the overall consumption, 11 or 12%. You, you, I'm hoping that with, with the broader ESG strategy, the the push by the corporates and their involvement, and obviously some type of clean energy bill, whether it's through you know the infrastructure bill or add-on bill or the reconciliation, who knows what's going to happen, and just the momentum of I think you know even even the folks in the fossil fuel industries who understand you know where the transition's going, I'm hoping that you know over the next you know we'll get some certainty and over the next five ten years we can see a, a real uptick in those numbers. And I think we, I think we will. I think we've, I think we've only scratched the surface on, on new technologies. We still need to see a lot more clean, affordable power being offered to, to the underserved communities. And I think that, that, you know, that by itself, you know, I think can, can really help shape sort of the future of, of the energy landscape. I think the momentum's there and, and, you know, I'm excited to be, to be a part of it. Anton Cohen is a partner with Cohen Resnick and the national director of the firm's renewable energy industry practice. Anton, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Stephen, really appreciate it. I'm just thankful that my dog did not interrupt us because I'm telling you, <laughs> 95% of the time he's he comes in my face and will stop barking. So we, you know, you must, you know, you must have some type of uh, charm here because uh, or some spell because he did not come down. So that's uh, that's a good thing. You've been listening to an episode produced in collaboration with Cone Resnick, LLP. Cone Resnick is an international advisory tax and accounting firm that can help your clean energy business move forward by proactively addressing your most complicated financial, tax, and audit challenges and needs. To learn more about how clean energy experts and advisors like Anton can help your organization grow, visit the link in the show notes. And thanks for listening. <laughs>